0: you might have noticed in the news that the trial began for the college admissions scandal. It was the story that you might have been following of families who, through bribery and fraud, paid lots of money to get their high school students into Ivy League colleges and universities. And uh, if you haven't followed the story, one of the top 10 most watched documentaries on Netflix this past year, was a story, a a documentary about this scandal. And so if you haven't been following, just to bring you up to speed, this is the trailer for that documentary. Let's take a look. All of our friends are only talking about one thing and it's this story. An FBI investigation called Operation Varsity Blues. USC, UCLA. And Rick Singer. The mastermind behind the entire operation. There any risk thing blows up in my face. Hey, Rick. Hey there. Is this a good time? Yeah, yeah, it's good for me. Rick, I had a question for you. It's just you and me. Is that kosher? Absolutely. I just wanted you to walk me through the whole thing again and how it works. We help the wealthiest families in the US get their kids into school. So I've done 761, what I would call side doors. The front door means getting in on your own. I <laughs> it! So, I've created this kind of side door, in because my families want a guarantee. There aren't many federal cases where you have 50 people indicted for a crime. It truly is amazing what people will say on the phone when they don't know the federal listener. If somebody were to catch this, what happens? The only way someone can catch it is if you guys tell someone. It seems like it would be hard to miss. There was a five-foot-five men's basketball player, a high school cheerleader who was made to look like a lacrosse player. You've never had an issue with this. Like some article comes out that the, the polo team is selling seats into the school for 250 grand. Well, no, because she's a water polo player. But she's not. here today to announce charges in the largest college admissions scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. My view of the admissions process is some students getting in on pure merit, but many others getting in due to preferences that skew rich and white. They had every advantage, and yet they still cheated. In America, we love the wealthy and we hate the wealthy. They disgust us, and they fascinate us. We're gonna do over 730 of these side doors this year. It's the home run of home runs. And it works? Every time. So it's easy, perhaps, to be critical of the deceit and the deception of this story. But the reality is, people don't just wake up one day and decide to commit fraud and bribery, right? Like, there's a series of small decisions that precede the big decision that a story like this is about. This kind of story is the result of so many smaller decisions to live externally in a way that's inconsistent with our stated values. And I'd like to do a little activity together in this room right now on the end of these pews. You'll find a strip of paper looks like this. Can you just take those and then pass them around to people sitting around you? I didn't put any in the balcony. I am so sorry, you guys We'll have to throw some up. Um, if you're joining us from home, you could grab a piece of paper right now. Just cut a one inch strip down that paper. And what I want you to do for those of you in this room is take that piece of paper and just form a circle with it. And holding that circle with your hand, I want you to take your finger and just you know, kind of run it on the outside of the circle and imagine with me for a minute that this is your exterior life. This is the you that we see. This is the you that is presented to the world. This is what you do for a living. This is who you know and where you live and what you have and what you drive. This is like your exterior life. And now take your finger and go like this on the inside of that same circle. And imagine with me for a minute that this is your interior life. This is the parts of you that, like, we don't see unless you choose to share. This is your feelings, your thoughts, your desires. This is, like, your wishes, hopes, and dreams. you the inside of you. Now, often, we think of these as totally, you know, they're kind of separate. It's like, you know, the, the public you and the private you. The external you and the internal you. But what I want you to do with me right now is take that strip of paper. We're going to make a Mobius strip. Do you remember these? So you're going to keep one side stationary. Just hold it as it is and take the other side and just turn it half. Just turn it halfway around and then take it and make that circle again. Should look like that you have your mobius strip okay now what I want you to do is again take your finger start on the outside and see what happens oh wait a second now I'm on the inside keep going around now you're gonna get to this point you're gonna have to switch because your finger can't (gasps) but wait now I'm on the outside again wait 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 okay now but wait I'm now I'm on the inside (laughs) see With a Mobius strip, there's only one side. The outside and the inside is the same side. And that is really what it means to be a person of character, to be a person who lives with integrity. The word integrity actually comes from the word integer or integration which comes from integer so integrity integration integer integer just means a whole number to be a person of integrity is to be a person who increasingly through life is the same inside and out that the public you that we meet is the same as the private you that we meet that the external self is consistent integrated whole the same as the you we meet in private and behind the scenes and of course there's all sorts of reasons that we start out life creating this false self to protect ourselves but integration integrity character is throughout life to be growing more consistent more integrated more whole Often we think of this internal self and external self as separate, but I think God's desire for our lives is that we would be integrated people. I was listening to an interview with someone who had the opportunity to live with Desmond Tutu, and he was doing a biography for Desmond Tutu, and he was going to live with him and, you know, watch him and get to know him kind of up close and personal. And this man said he's really nervous to do that. Because he said up until that point in his life, everyone who he admired, every hero that he had, as soon as he got close to them, it was like, oh, bummer. (laughs) You know? It was disappointing. Because the truth is, you can, like, impress from a distance, but you make an impact up close. And it's easy to impress from a distance because you're just showing the self you want to show, But you make an impact up close. So this man is like doing this biography on Desmond Tutu. And the coolest thing he said, I thought, it's just really stayed with me, is he said, Desmond Tutu was much more impressive to him up close than he was in his public self. That when he got in his life and he got in his home, his daily practices of prayer, of fasting, his character, his integrity, his kindness was more impressive than anything he did on the public stage, than anything he said out front to the stage of the world. That's character. That's integrity. For someone to be able to say that about him. It is the, it's just, I think, human nature to wanna be impressive, to wanna show the world our worth through what we do and have and know, and we wanna be impressive. But Christian theology and the ethics of Jesus call forth a different way of living. Because we're following in the footsteps of the one who didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus himself made himself nothing. Jesus himself took the very nature of a servant. And that's who we're following after. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be camping out in a chapter of scripture found in 2 Corinthians 4 where we read this. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we preach, it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving To overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. The basic structure of this chapter in scripture, I read this in a commentary, it's kind of cheesy, I just couldn't find anything better, so I'm going to share it. The basic structure of this chapter is treasure, trouble, testimony. Sorry for the alliteration, but that is just the structure. So first, the treasure. The passage says this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. So the passage is saying Christ is the treasure. We are the jars of clay. Christ is the treasure. Human beings are the jars of clay. Like God has poured the treasure, Christ, into you you a jar of clay you an ordinary common container the common container is people and it's ironic because you think about like when human beings create something that's a treasure that's a valuable that's really important we want to like put it in an airtight like really safe container not something fragile not something breakable right we want to put it like behind glass we want to put it in a pyramid and like make it airtight and keep it for a millennial like you know a treasure but isn't it just so the way of God to take the treasure and to put it in a common container when God has a treasure he puts it in something you could say like as plain as a brown paper lunch sack a jar of clay The Paul, the Apostle Paul here is basically saying God has taken this very precious treasure and He is gonna pour it in a paper cup. He is gonna pour it, put it in like a brown lunch bag, in a styrofoam cup, in a jar of clay. The container is common, but the contents is eternal. There's a Spanish psychiatrist named Pablo Martinez, and he said it like this. He said, uh, God, in his mysterious sovereignty, uses vessels of clay, not of gold. So the container that is us, the container's common. The contents are eternal. God's the treasure. We're the jars of clay. And we point this out just because in our celebrity Christian culture, we can get, like, a little bit mixed up on this. We can get a little bit confused on this. We can tend to forget this. Like, I I recently listened to a podcast that Christianity Today put out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it is a very sobering story of the rise and fall of a megachurch and megachurch pastor uh, Though I will say I'm so grateful they took the time to make that documentary or that podcast because um, I have heard from so many people who have been wounded in toxic church leadership contexts say just how important it has been to them to hear that reality named and to know that they are not alone in that experience The gist of the podcast, though, is this, that all too often we choose charisma over character in the leaders we follow. We want leaders who will move and inspire us, and we pay more attention to the external gifts of our leaders than the internal integrity and character of their lives. The podcast shows how the human desire to follow people who are powerful and persuasive and full of charisma, it's not just limited to Hollywood, it's not just limited to Capitol Hill, that it seeped into the church, where we have all too often prioritized charisma over character. And we've then allowed ourselves to become followers of kind of like, you know, personality cults you want to say it that way. We'll shop around till we find the most charismatic place. But what this scripture is saying is reminding us the real treasure is Christ. The real treasure is the message of Christ. And it must never be mistaken for the packaging in which it comes. Like God is saying you, all of you are clay pots. At times, Cracked clay pots. You people—it's <laughs> like Paul saying, "You people, you're as plain as a brown—you know, paper sack. You're as plain as a paper cup." And it's not that you're not valuable, but don't confuse the treasure you carry for the jar of clay that you are. You and I are just the container. It's humble, it's fragile to be a jar of clay. But the treasure must never be forgotten. Don't forget what the treasure is. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just remember that you contain the treasure, you are not the treasure. We don't manufacture it. We're not the source of it. We're like the delivery system of it. The gospel resides in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Christ. So that's the treasure. Okay, second thing is, as a clay pot, as a human vessel, this passage, this chapter says, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Paul details it for us here. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I don't really have to ask you, like, do you have any stress in your life? (laughs) We all do. Every living being has stress. Some of that stress is good stress. It's like you stress. Some of it's destructive stress. But we are, as human beings, we are hard, pressed on every side. Stress stress, and pressure all the time. There actually was an article in the Washington Post where two women were talking about, perhaps you read this, uh, they were talking about, pandemic flux syndrome, which is essentially like if you are experiencing sadness right now, if you're experiencing anxiety, if you're experiencing the desire to make some drastic change in your life, you might have pandemic flux syndrome. This is a quote from the article. If you're experiencing increased sadness or anxiety along with an urge to dramatically change something about your life, some of the markers of pandemic flux syndrome, be assured you're not alone. Many people are feeling such tensions. Although human beings are more resilient than we generally appreciate, it will take time for many of us to stably recover, to reflect and recalibrate. I mean, four million people quit their jobs in April There's a whole lot of chatter right now about rage quitting, which is just, you know, I'm not giving my two weeks notice. I quit on the spot. Out. (laughs) Peace out, (laughs) you know. There's a whole lot of stress. We don't have to look very far to know that, right? There is trouble pressing in on every side. But the hope of this passage is that there's a treasure inside of you, and that treasure enables the weak vessel, enables the jar of clay to withstand trouble and not lose heart. Um, I am wondering, can I get a volunteer? I didn't plan this ahead of time, I probably should have, but uh, it, could I get a volunteer? Somebody who feels strong, come on up, come on up. Thank you for volunteering. Uh, I want to do a little illustration. It's a little hokey, but we're just going to go with that. So, thank you remind me of your name taz Taz, everybody welcome taz Taz. yay taz i'm wondering if you could take this empty can and crush it any way you would like yeah all right okay now i'm wondering if you could um take this full can and (laughs) you don't really have to do that that's my illustration okay (laughs) Give it up for Naz. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you will have trouble. But don't forget the treasure that is within you, right? The hope of the passage is that there is a treasure within you, that you are, you're like the aluminum can, like very crushable. But the the one who overcame death, the one who endures resides in you, right? It is the treasure that makes you resilient to face the trouble that you face. But the reality is we're the, we're the, we're the jar of clay, we're the paper cup, we're the aluminum can. It's Christ who is in us that gives us the strength. It's not us. It's him. You will have trouble, but never forget the treasure that's inside of you, the hope of the glory that enables you to withstand trouble. Like, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted. We're not abandoned. We're struck down. We're not destroyed. The one who endured resides in you and gives you everything you need for life. So no matter what you're facing today, never forget that God God is with you and in you and for you. I say that, that, my, that to my kids so very often. Sometimes I'll take their little hands, I'll make a sign on the cross, and I'll be like, remember, God is with you and in you and for you today and every day. That is the treasure. And then lastly, Christ is our testimony. Charlie actually has written a beautiful song about this. I'm sorry we didn't connect about it for doing it today. (laughs) But Christ is our testimony. And this is the last part this chapter is talking about. And I'm sorry, Joel Olstein. I mean you no disrespect, but the testimony is not living your best life now. It's fine if you're living your best life now. That's okay. But that's not the gospel. That's not the testimony. That's not the evidence of the treasure. Living your best life now is the American story, but it's not the Christian story. And one of the ways that we can know one of the litmus tests is like, does living your best life now, does it hold up on death row? Does it hold up at Children's Hospital? Does living your best life now does it preach in Beirut or Afghanistan or Somalia today? Nothing wrong with living your best life now. But it's not the testimony. The testimony is Jesus Christ has lived and died for me. That's the testimony. The testimony is it's that he endures and he, he's given me the strength. It's not that I have the strength. It's not that I've orchestrated my life and made such great choices that I'm living my best life now. That's not the testimony. In fact, the trouble that I am facing right now, Paul would say, the trouble I'm facing right now, the trouble I'm going through, it actually only magnifies the treasure. It only magnifies. The mark of the Christian, the mark of the Christ follower is not that she doesn't get knocked down. It's that she gets up and speaks about the treasure again and again and again. That's the testimony. Like if you're a follower of Christ and life is particularly hard right now? Remember that, in a sense, it's supposed to be. Like, we follow in the footsteps of one who laid down his life. The Lord Jesus himself, like, taken, blessed, broken, and given. That's the cruciform way sometimes we get like subtly sucked into this idea that like to follow God in the way of Jesus is to be hashtag blessed all the time. Healthy, wealthy, and happy. So if I'm not, I must be doing something wrong. Your testimony is not that your life is great. Your testimony is that God is great. And that is never more on display than when you're in times of trouble. Our testimony is not the resilient container. Our testimony is the treasure that makes us resilient. And I think the root sometimes of of so much of a a spirit of defeat among followers of Christ is this confusion around container and contents. And we're drawn to kind of the celebrity Christian culture. Like, unless somebody famous says it, I probably am not going to believe it. Right? Like, it's got to come from the mouth of somebody who's, like, got a big platform, some worldwide influencer. Or we think, like, if it's not, if it's only true, it will only be true if my life is, like, spotless and perfect. And if I have any struggles or I have something that's really difficult in my life, that that's somehow not God's blessing on my life. Even our testimonies sometimes in church. It's like, Look what Christ has done for me. Look how he's changed my life. Like, I was fat, now I'm thin. And, you know, I was poor, and now I'm rich. And nothing necessarily wrong with that, except it's not really the gospel. If God is only good in your life when things are going well, who are and what are you really worshiping? Perhaps the God of comfort. The question is, am I the testimony? Are you the testimony? Not really. Like, we're the container. We're not the contents. Verse 10 says it like this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life, may be revealed in our mortal body. What the passage is trying to say, Paul is trying to say, I'm always pointing to something else. It's the death of someone else. It's the life of someone else. The treasure I have is that Jesus Christ has died and risen. That's the treasure that I have. My testimony is about him. Yes, it does have an effect on me, of course, but the treasure is more about Christ than it is about me. The death, it's somebody else's, it's not mine. It's the life, it's somebody else's, it's not mine. That's our treasure. That's our testimony. And it's on display the most in times of trouble. Which means, you may have a wayward child today, You may have cancer today. You may be in doubt today. Everything that is meaningful in your life might just be crumbling around you today. Your home might be experiencing stress. And when you ask, when someone asks you the question, like, what's the treasure? The treasure Is the risen Lord Jesus living in this paper cup? This container is fragile. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing greatness of God. We're cracked. We are falling apart. And as we are falling apart, we are pointing to the one the only one who is eternal, which is why we fix our eyes not on what's seen, this is temporary, but what is unseen, that's eternal. Let's pray together as we close. Well, God, I think of the words to that simple song that just says, Lord, you are More precious than silver. More costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. Nothing I desire, nothing, nothing I desire can compare with you. May we, God, be caught up in your glory. May your glory so overwhelm us. That we might say in the face of every trouble, it is well, it is well with my soul. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you together as we come to the table of communion now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.